Uh, good morning. Welcome to Green Left Radio. Good morning, everyone. It's Zane and this is Lalita here, taking you through to 8.30 this morning. Um, so, last week, we were going to bring you a live-to-air interview with John Setka from the CFMEU. And we had a bit of trouble getting him on the line, but immediately after we finished, <laughs> yes. we got him on the line <laughs> and we recorded an interview. So we're going to play that because this uh, attack on the CFMEU that's going down at the moment is pretty important to the entire trade union movement and working class. So uh, without further ado... Uh, just, just before you put it on, mm-hmm. I just have to um, inform listeners that... Because the the case is still running in the courts where he's on bail, he's not able to t- directly talk about the details of the case, mm. but he will talk about what surrounds the case. Indeed. The political stuff and so on. All right. We thought, as you said, we won't focus on your case, but we've got um, a number of other issues we want to bring up. We want to look at the broader political context, if you like. Now I've got Ewan. He was a long-time member, but he's just retired. And we've got Zane, who's just joined up. We will um, start off by what is going on um, in terms of politics. What is the situation right now that has forced the hand of the government to attack the trade unions, really, and and focusing on CFMEU? Well, I think we're probably the number one target because we're probably the most prominent and and one of the biggest, uh, and that's why they've been attacking us. We're probably classed as one of the most powerful, so obviously if you're going to attack the trade union movement, you try and take the most powerful element out of the equation. And we're not scared of having a dispute, we're not scared of representing our members, and we're not like conservative like some of the other rest of the trade union movement. I mean, our membership continues to grow against all the adversity and everything that's been thrown at us. Our membership continues to grow, they know that, and, um, and obviously they see us as some sort of threat. And we're obviously, their plans to try and sort of destroy the trade union movement, we're probably standing in their way, us and a, and a couple of other sort of like-minded unions. And they've got to probably get us out of the way before they can sort of complete their little plan. One of the things I've been discussing with uh, some of my comrades is that the ALP has been pressured, particularly Daniel, Daniel Andrews has been pressured to um, disaffiliate the CFM, CFMEU. I don't know if you want to comment on that, but it'll be nice to have a discussion about it. Yeah, look, I mean, I've heard that. I've read that. That's the Herald Sun. I mean, you've got the Herald Sun. I mean... Uh, yes, we know the Herald Sun. That's the, fine. The, you don't have to say anything. Yeah, they're not exactly, <laughs> they're not, not exactly pro-union, put it that way. No. So, I mean, uh, you, know, the, you know, someone used to use the saying, every scab's a hero in the Herald Sun. I think that, that it's true. Um, and, uh, and they misinterpret a lot of things. And you know what? They will sometimes get something out of nothing. I mean, I don't know where that's come from. I mean, I've had cases of people, tattoos on their faces uh, in the Herald Sun with my photo next to them sort of saying that, they were employed by me. They were our main enforcers, and they were the thugs employed. I've never ever met the person in my life, so that's the sort of stuff they print, which is no substance or no truth to it whatsoever. I can understand if there's a bit of substance to something and they exaggerate it. I mean, most newspapers do that, but when they just make up something, like they did about the raid in the office, they spoke about speaking to CFMU members who were there during the raid and everything, and, and the raid actually never ever happened. So they actually make up stories. They're actually they just make up complete lies. So mm-hmm. I mean. That could be another lie. I mean, I don't know. I haven't heard anything. No one's rang us and sort of said, oh, we're, talk- we're, we're thinking about dis- disaffiliating you from the ALP. So no one has spoke to us. I mean, I mean, our country, you're supposed to be innocent until proven guilty. So, oh, I, I mean, <laughs> Doesn't you, know, happen anymore. Like, you know, like they're saying we've we, we blackmailed in an industrial dispute. That's the allegation. 
Gee, the trial hasn't even started and people are already talking about disaffiliating. I mean, yeah, maybe the police should be the police force should be deregistered over the conduct that they have towards women. I mean, we heard about I that. I know, you know, 40% I mean, of women, yes. Yeah, what do we do? Do we deregister the police force now? I mean, mm. Damien Mantek, the, one of the directors of the uh, Liberal Party that was doing all them ads against the CFMEU last year, prior to the election, I mean, he got caught embezzling $1.5 million, you know, from the Liberal Party. Uh, do they deregister the Liberal Party now? I mean, so... It's interesting because the, 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 this is a new thing that is bringing in criminal law into the trade union area because under John Howard, what they did was they brought the arbitration law elements under the corporate uh, law so they could attack people on an individual basis. But what they have done now is to now move further, almost like a two-step process, and they brought criminal law into the trade union area, which is very oppressive and it's frightening for a lot of people. And from from what I'm seeing, I'm looking at the demonizing of trade unions, the criminalization of trade unions, and there is definitely a bigger plot in place, which means to me, it seems like they want to get their hands on the industry fund, industry super fund, which is a lot of money from what I hear. It's yeah. like $15 trillion. And right, yeah. if you criminalize the trade union movement, it makes it easier for them to say, well, trade unions are criminal, therefore we can remove them from the board, which means the yeah. bosses can get hold of the money. So that is the other element I see in this. The weakening of the trade union movement, which gives them the option to do that, that's just one part of it. Well, well we hear these arguments, and there was a bloke called Murray that was in the Australian uh, last week talking about why should the union sit on boards of super. Well, morons like that should actually realise that if it wasn't for the trade union movement, there actually would be no super. Exactly. Now, for the trade union movement not selling that message to the public for the last 30, 40 years is the trade union movement's problem, and, and that's where they've fallen down. I mean, you know, I don't know why they don't run ads and let people know, because there's people out there enjoying union wages and conditions mm. and superannuation and all these entitlements, annual leave and penalty rates, which the trade union movement won. And yet these same people sort of sit in their lounge rooms watching this stuff on TV and sort of saying, bloody unions, yeah, well, what they don't realise is they probably wouldn't be have the money to be able to afford to watch it on that big L, you know, big big TV of theirs. Yes. Yeah, if it wasn't for uh, the trade union movement. And uh, But you know what? I don't really blame them. I blame the trade union movement. Previous leadership said the ACTU, people like Ferguson and all them who oh, we yes. knew, always knew was not much shop, but, you know, eventually it's all come out. People like that have sort of disarmed the trade union movement, weren't very progressive, and that's why this message has never got out there. And, and the ACCC, I mean, I read about the ACCC trying to make all these massive penalties and that against unions over all sorts of things. I mean, now they've evolved the ACCC. I mean, this Christmas, when this Christmas comes, there will be price gouging at the petrol pumps. You know, petrol will go up from, say, $1.35 a litre to $1.70 a litre virtually overnight. You will not see one prosecution. The ACCC will not prosecute one person because it's big oil companies involved. Yes. yes. They yes. want to go have a crew and criminalise unions. That's, I mean, that's just what it's become and, and that's just how it is. And I mean, it's, look, they'll keep trying, they'll keep coming at us and uh, we've just got to stay strong and fight and uh, we've got to start winning the propaganda war. Yeah. Get the public on side and, and let them know that we are not criminals. Yeah. Uh, we're trade unionists who believe in... Yeah, these days, it's almost they've made it. If you stand up and actually fight for your rights, you're some sort of criminal. That's right. I mean, you should just be a conformist. Don't question anything. Let's just put a swastika on and call ourselves Nazi Germany. Then some of these liberal politicians might be happy. I mean, that's, mm. I mean, that's what it's becoming. Oh, that's, look, look, 
superannuation, I mean, the banks have been trying to get their hands on super for many, many years, right? Obviously, people like Turnbull and, and the coalition government want to hand it to them, right? And, and I mean, that's what they want. And there's governments that want to use this money for infrastructure projects, yeah, because they've got no money. So you know what? Let's use union members' money to build infrastructure projects. Mm. And them infrastructure projects, they will try and make non-union. I mean, how ironic is that? So, I mean, we're going to sort of fight tooth and nail. They're our super funds. We mm. created them. We fought for them. People marched up and down the street and went on strike for people to have super. Now, super was virtually put there to virtually eventually get rid of the pension because a lot of unions were initially opposed to super because of that. But we've got it now. And super is very good. And now they want to get their hands on it. Now that it's become so successful, they now want to all get their hands on it. Look, it's all just part of it. And, and if they get defeated there, they'll move on to something else. They're, they're always trying. They're always sort of digging at us. And um, I just think it's a bit sad when you see the rest of the trade, some of the rest of the trade union movement actually not even wanted to have a crack at it. I mean, they want to just leave it to a few to do the fighting. And they don't want to sort of get their hands dirty and do any fighting at all. But I mean, super yeah. is an integral part of Australian society. A lot of our members, a lot of people now... One of the main things they ask about is their health and safety and their superannuation. Hmm. And uh, to be playing games of it and the government's playing political football with it and trying to help their rich mates in run all the banks and all that. But banks have been trying to get their hands on super for, for many, many years and uh, the coalition's going to try and hand it to them. I've been involved with the climate movement and some of the more sort of working class minded people in the climate movement have said, well, look, there's this big pile of money uh, sitting in our super funds, these days renewable energy is a pretty safe bet to invest in. So I think potentially super funds could see wind farms and solar plants as a good solid investment that is going to be a secure thing that delivers secure returns for members. But that poses a threat to certain interests that are they're close to the, the coalition, like the fossil fuel lobby. So yeah, You're right. That's what it is. I mean, look... I've heard that some of the super funds do want to invest in renewable energy. I mean, you've just got to look at yourself. Look at all the roofs on houses now that are going to solar panels. So that's obviously taken a big chunk out of all the big privatised electrical companies and all the rest of it. So um, oh, sometimes we all sound like conspiracy theorists. But you know what? It's actually pretty simple. Once you put all the docks together, it actually makes sense. And you actually see this pattern developing. But unfortunately, a lot of the half of Australia is asleep and they sort of oh, it's just a trade union movement just carrying on or this lobby group carrying on. It's actually true. I mean, it's what's happening. And, and we know the Conservatives have never been really that interested in, in fixing the environment. So, I mean... <laughs> that's, oh, oh, that's, that's an understatement, John. <laughs> that's right, yes, yes. They just think they, they, they don't know what the... They don't, they don't know what an ozone layer is. I, I, I just think that would be the way to go. And that's obviously a threat to a lot of people. They don't want people investing in renewable energy. I mean, not at the moment. Let their mates make a few more billion dollars in that. Then maybe we'll look look at it. I mean, there's a little bit of that going on too. There's, mm. there's a bit of everything going on. I mean, it's very hard to sort of keep up sometimes. It's almost a full-time job keeping up with it all. That's wicked. And I saw the inspiring footage of your rally the other day. And I thought that's... And it, it inspired me. Bloody hell, I've been meaning to this for a while. So I joined... And seriously, within about 24 hours, my joiner pack turned up in the mail. <laughs> so you've run a tight ship, and it, it oh. seems to me that that's, that's really why you're being targeted is because you're a successful union, you've got free training for members, you've got really good safety programs, you help apprentices find work to attack the skill shortage, and you've got good, good hours, good pay, good conditions. And, look, and we're trying to 
make our trades registered licensed trades so they're actually uh you know so, so so young people actually want to do a trade because i mean unfortunately what people don't realize in australia a lot of these uh crafts are actually being lost i mean carpentry oh. and some of these things have been lost because anyone just goes along they're using you know illegal immigrants for cheap labor to sort of just start putting up stud walls and you know, it's going to lead to people's deaths and we want to preserve you know we want to preserve the building industry we want to you know, when you build a house, we want to be able to actually find a carpenter, not go to a museum with our kids in 10 years' time and your kid says, what's that, Dad? Oh, that's a carpenter. What's a carpenter, Dad? Oh, that's someone that used to build things, you know what I mean? So we want to preserve the trade, you know, like brickies, brickies, plasterers and all that. They're all noble trades and uh, and we want to protect them and they should be registered and licensed and, and that's what we're embarking on as part of our EBA campaign is uh, we want young kids to say, you know, I want to be a carpenter and I'm going to finish my trade and I'll be a qualified tradesman and, and I'll be proud of that. And that's what we want, not have it sort of cheapened and exploited. So, I mean, there's a lot of things we're working on. We're sort of, we're really sort of uh, we're sort of changing history, to be quite honest. I mean, a lot of my predecessors tr- tried to get this done. I can understand why some of them failed because it's very frustrating. You hit all this red tape mm. and, uh, and it sort of just slows you down and you sort of think, oh my God, you're up against it. But we're sort of determined this time to just keep pushing on with it. And um, I, I, I think the construction industry, I mean, there's nothing greater than sort of building something. You know, you build something and I've worked on sites, you know, you go past 20 years later, say, oh, I worked on that. You know, you, you tell your kids, oh, I worked on this. And, you know, and, and, and it's just, it gives you a bit of satisfaction like yeah. you build anything. Yeah. And um, I, I, I just think our trade, and at the same time, we educate, you know, in health and safety. We, you know, against, you know, against domestic violence, we educate our members in everything, you know, so... We've also got a community obligation, and uh, and we think that's what other unions should do. So not only do we train our members, give them good wages, conditions, RDOs, and all the rest of it, and that we believe we've got a bit of an obligation to the general community and society, and 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 have our members know that you know what, it's not okay to beat up women. You know, it's not cool. It's uh, no good to sort of take drugs and come to work. And it, we've got an obligation, and we're we're trying to at the same time we're doing all that too and educate them. You know, and. Um, We've got to break that cycle, and uh, we think that we're in a position to help break the cycle on our part of the world. And I just wish to rest of the, some of the rest of the trade. There's a lot of good trade union movements out there that are, you know, unions out there that are doing a lot of good work on a lot of the same stuff. But I mean, there's a lot of unions out there that are more interested in putting people in safe seats in Parliament than they are in representing their members. I just wish I could see the energy that they put into whacking people into Parliament. If that same energy was converted into making sure their members had good wages and conditions, that, that, that would be fantastic for the trade union movement. And I think you'd see the spike in membership going up because mm. that's what it's all about. You know, our members are the ones that pay our wages, not the other way around. So, mm. I mean, um, we've always said that. And, uh, and I think that's what's, that's what's sort of partly destroyed part of the trade union movement. Too many people preoccupied with ALP politics, I mean, rather than looking after the union and its members. Yeah, it's interesting. It reminds me of the days in the 70s when um, Clary O'Shea was arrested. The whole yeah. trade yeah. union went out. It, it was That's so right. yeah. energizing. It, was, it felt good. It said, we are here to defend workers' rights. You know, you arrest one of us, we will down tools. You know, that spirit is missing. Yeah. You know, that's what that's right. saddens me at the moment, you know, just look at it and it's oh. Happen is part of the trade union movement has virtually become a bit of a money collection agency. That's the problem. They sort of ought to go out and actually engage with their members and talk to their members because their members are the ones that pay their wages, and uh, and that's what's sad about it. I mean, why is our why is our union growing? I mean, 
We get ostracised in the papers and the press, called every name under the sun. Yet our membership continues to grow. Yeah, these other conservative unions look at us and say, oh, my God, look at them cheeky boys. Look what they're doing. Well, you know what? Pardon the punts, but while their own organisations are disappearing down the drain, you know, and they're, they're wondering, they're wanting to run all these studies on declining union membership, and yet ours is growing. They don't need to do any studies on it. It just goes back to <laughs> basics. Go yes. out and represent your members. Exactly. Wages and conditions, and actually have a bit of a crack, because that's what they actually pay to do. They, they find that their membership is increasing. So, I mean, it, it's simple. There's no, there's no rocket science to it. So we, we've just gone back to basics. We have uh, gone with this thing. We've gone back to basics. Just go back to basics, represent members. Don't worry about a lot of the other stuff. Make sure they go home safe. Make sure the conditions are good. And you know what? In the end, it all doesn't matter. In our industry, it's a very dangerous industry. But you know what? In the end, it doesn't matter how much wages and how many RDAs you get. If you're not going to come home that night to That's enjoy right. it, if you're right. going to suffer, there's no point in it, is it? It defeats mm-hmm. the whole purpose of it all. So. That's why safety is a very important part of our union. Yeah, and I, I was actually watching a, um, a video of the rally the other day. That was pretty impressive, that rally that was put on at real short notice the other day in the city. And yeah. one of the things that you said at the rally, and that I then saw you talking about again in, in one of the other CFMEU TV videos, is this question of safety. And you even mentioned that your son uh, works in the industry. And when you yeah. hear about a death or an injury on a work site, that's one of the first things that will come into your yeah. mind. Gee, I hope it wasn't my son. Oh, um, it's, it's, look, look, look my, dad, my dad's a survivor of the Westgate Bridge. I mean, he's one of the 18 that survived when it collapsed in mm. 1970. So, I mean... Mm pretty passionate to me and uh, I've seen the effects of people being killed at work. The wall that come down on that building side across the road on them kids, a the Grolo one, we were sort of trying to save them kids, our staff. I mean, it was just something that wasn't our fault. It sort of scarred us for life, you know, and um, we've seen the effects on the families. You know, imagine a family just losing two kids. Can you imagine? Yeah, you know, the only two kids they've got just gone because of someone's negligence. But, yeah, we're pretty passionate about it and uh, we don't, you know, and if we've got to break the law, to save a life, to make sure that person goes home to their family. We've done our job, and um, we've been fined millions of dollars for preserving life because that's one of our jobs. There's some of these little shitty laws that are designed to try and destroy trade unionism, but you know what? Some unions say, oh, well, you know, that law, you've got to abide by that law. Yeah, well, not at the cost of our members' lives. Yeah. You know, every, that's right. And, uh, and that's why we break the law sometimes, and, you know, if we get fined $5 million, you know, you know what? In the end... We got fined fifty million dollars, and we save one life. It is worth it because that one exactly. life. I mean, I've mm. never seen a life worth a building or, or, or even like three trillion dollars. I mean, mm. you know, what price do you put on a human uh, life? You know, yeah. as they say, you know, if the law is, is unjust, then rebellion becomes duty. <laughs> well, I look at it this way: when we get lectured sometimes and sort of saying, you know, don't break the law, and I agree, people should abide by the law. But sometimes when there is bad laws in history, you look in history. How have bad laws been overturned? Yes. You look at the uh, look at the Deep South in America in the 60s. I mean, people like Martin Luther King, if they didn't defy the law, you know, African-Americans would still be not allowed to sit on buses and would be riding the back of buses, wouldn't be able to go to certain restaurants. And I, I mean, if them people did not defy the law, bad mm. laws, I mean, what would happen? Slavery was legal, John, and so was the Holocaust. That was law, that's right, yes. Thank you so much, John. It's very kind no of you to give us the time, and we'll talk again. Thank you very much. Thanks. Thank you. Yeah, bye-bye. You are listening to Green Left Radio on the Friday Morning Breakfast Show, broadcast live on 3CR Radio, 855 AM digital, and streaming live on 3cr.org.au. 
Greenleft Radio is brought to you by the Greenleft Weekly Newspaper, providing a weekly source of alternative information which aims to inspire action to put people and the environment before profit. Subscribe to Greenleft Weekly by visiting the website at greenleft.org.au or call 1-800-634-206. For new subscribers, it's only $10 for the first seven issues. Okay, a couple of really quick announcements. If you think you're going to calm down and relax, <laughs> you, you have no hope. <laughs> Monday, 21st of December, 11 a.m., we've got the Haksu Union Delegates Meeting. That's the health sector people over privatization of disability services at Trades Hall, as you you know, you probably would have heard in the um, news. Uh, the union weren't informed or involved in this. Um, but nevertheless, there's there's a meeting. Please attend 11 a.m. at Trades Hall, Monday the 21st. Tuesday, the 22nd of December at 12.30, that the, that's the Victorian Public Health Services um, Union, VHPA. Um, they are also having a rally over new enterprise bargaining agreement. I think that will be at... Um, uh, the State Library, if I'm not mistaken, but please check that one. All right. Now, we go on to? Yes, so this morning we have uh, 3CR current affairs um, organiser and West Papua activist Ronnie Kareni. Good morning. Welcome to the studio. And thank you for having <laughs> me in the studio. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, what's the latest... Um, you want to start with the latest one, the minister being um, questioned, or do you want to go with the Morning Star thing? Uh, yeah, if if you could uh, comment on this um, scandal that's that's uh, rocking Indonesia at the moment. Yes, as we know that in Indonesia currently, the Speaker of the Parliament in Indonesia um, are being que- is being questioned, given that um, he attended one of the um, a di- dinner in U.S. with this new candidate, um, Donald Trump. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> and so this is a political scandal now. Um, the questions give, uh, being asked in Indonesia now, that why and what's the reason behind that? And reports have emerged out now that um, he's got 20% stake in the Freeport mining in which Donald Trump is also have a big lump of um, hand or owns that Freeport as well that is operating in West Papua in which it is the one of the biggest taxpayer to the Indonesian government and yet it has left a lot of the indigenous people and environmental destruction in on the land and so um, Freeport is now really in a stage where they're going to take the Indonesian government to um, to appeal for a quick meeting before the contract runs out in 2021. And so, but the government, the current administration didn't want to meet before 2017. They wanted to meet a bit later. And so now there is this other issue going on. And so, you know, at the end of the day, whilst this is all happening there, there is no consultation with the landowners, with the local people, not with any Papuans. Mm. And this is just... Um, you know, outsiders making decisions on the land that they don't even custodians of. Yeah. That is absolutely disgraceful to repeat everywhere in the world, including Australia, mind you. <laughs> it's just as bad. You're going to say something, um, Zane? 
Um, yeah, so historically, I understand um, it's West Papua was not part of Indonesia. It was only after colonization by the Dutch. Correct, yeah. And so after the Dutch handed over to the Indonesian junta in about the mid-1960s, they yeah. handed back West Papua as, as part of like Indonesia. But your the the self determination of West Papua is is kind of similar to East Timor or something where it's like this was never part of Indonesia. This is West Papua. Yes. So yeah, that's correct. And so with the like both East Timor and West Papua were colonized or occupied by Indonesia, and this was in the sixties. West Papua was prepared for full independence ten years from 1961, 1st of December 1961, when the Morning Star flag, the National Anthem, established a legislative council, mm. and there was a preparation. And where, and so West Papua was put under the UN Trust Territory. Mm. Um, you, yeah, that's the UN um, Trusteeship Council, whereas Timor was listed under the UN Decolonization List. Oh. And so that's a difference there. So when you hear some commentators, that's the difference. Whereas, yeah, so for West Papua's case, so that was the, the roadmap to freedom in 10 years. Mm. But then because of the wealth in Papua, mm. um, prior to that in 39, there was already an expedition or exploration in the region. And they already know that there is wealth of natural Resources, and so it yeah it made the report in New York Times, and the U.S. during the Cold War period they used that opportunity to go in using the Indonesian <clears throat> military using the issue of communism, and overthrow Sukarno, in which they put in Sukarno into the power, and they jumped straight into West Papua to control that area, and which that's the same story we hear in the Middle East, and mm. so that is the history and how, you know, two years prior to the referendum that um, was going to take place in 69, in 67, there's already agreement that the Freeport is going to operate in the region. Mm-hmm. And so, so in fast-tracking everything else, um, it, is, it comes down to the vested interest of the U.S. and Australia at that time. And the Australian government in the 50s leading up to 60s, they were full support of uh, was part of self-determination, but things flipped um, yes. in the early 60s. <laughs> and so that is the untangled world. West Papua is basically an untangled world that, um, you know, it's not only fighting for self-determination, but against multinational companies and also the military plays a big role in providing security. And mm. so any Papuans coming out to um, express their um, disappointment, then they'll be faced with the mil- military. Mm. And so that has led to a lot of human rights abuses and yeah, brutality. Yeah, I've seen some horrific images going around Facebook of some like horrible massacres and yes, really, really terrible stuff. And even with the Morningstar flag, it's, um, you know, anyone raised that flag under this in 2000 and 2000 after reformation in Indonesia, uh, Morningstar flag has been under the special autonomy where if you raise that morning star flag, um, it's outlawed and basically you'll be jailed between 3 to 15 years. And in the case of one of the prominent um, political prisoners, Philip Kama, he spent nearly 15 years, but he was released um, last month. And so that is a positive news, but not 
many people hear about other political prisoners, which there are up to 100. On the 1st of December itself, six people got killed, just simply gathered around uh, to raise the Morning Star flag, which we commemorate um, 1st of December. And up to 500 people got arrested all across Indonesia. In Jakarta, 306 students. In West Papua, more than um, 200 in various hotspots. And that's the reality. Never seems to amaze me, you know, the amount of um, power the white organizations have. They make the law and black men has to follow, or black people have to follow. Anyway, we better, we better finish up. Thanks, Ronnie. Thank you. I'm sorry it was mm. such a short interview. We'll have to have a longer interview with yeah, you Yeah, we'll have to get you year. back on next year. Yes, must. For sure. All and right. this is the last program for Green Left Weekly for this year. I hope all of you have a great break. And we shall meet again late January next year when Green Left Weekly newspaper comes out. Indeed. Thanks, everyone, for listening. All right. Thank you, Ronnie. Cheers, Ronnie. Goodbye.